All right, welcome back to the podcast. And in this episode, I am excited to introduce to you Pastor Tara Beth Leach. She is currently serving as an associate pastor at Christ Church in Illinois. It's that's in the Chicago area. She's also the author of three books, Emboldened, Radiant Church, and most recently, 40 Days on Being an Enneagram 6. So this episode, uh, we talk mostly about Radiant Church, and then we talk a little bit about being an Enneagram 6 and this devotion that she wrote. But then we also spend uh, the end of the episode talking about pastoring while we're grieving. Uh, And so all of us really are experiencing some level of grief right now with the pandemic. Uh, Some of us have multiple ways that we're grieving. We've lost people to death, whether it's from COVID or from something else. Um, And then just we're grieving change. Uh, So most of us are experiencing some kind of complex complexity in our grief. And so we spent a little bit of time talking about that at the end. A couple of things I'm going to put, well, all of Tara Beth's books in the show notes. So you can get links to those. Uh, Also, I make a reference to uh, Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. And then uh, I'll put a link in there to Suzanne Stabile because we talk about her a little bit. And if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, so you can check out her book. There's lots of books out there that are great resources. Uh, there's also one by Richard Rohr. Who, uh, so I'll put a link to Richard Rohr's book as well. Um, and we are specifically talking about Enneagram 6 since both of us, since both of us are Enneagram 6s. And we fall into what is called the head triad. So fives, six, and sevens uh, are the head triad. We are just stuck in our head a lot, right? And you can check out those other Enneagram links if you don't know what you are or if you're not in the head triad and you're in one of the other ones. But I still think that some of the things that we talk about are universal principles as well that you will very much relate to, including how we make decisions about really difficult things. So I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Uh, I would appreciate it if you would share it uh, on your social media or with a friend. Uh, And hey, just enjoy it. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? All right, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much again. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's been a joy. I've been looking forward to it. I tried not to let it slip that you were coming on the podcast just in case something happened and we could make this work. So I'm really glad that we could do that. Um, And congratulations on your newest book coming out. Thank you. I do have it in my cart and I am going to (laughs) buy it today. It's going to buy it today. You know, I feel bad when I have to buy some like too many things and I like put it all in one box. Yeah, I'm the same way. It's like 
but sometimes then I'm like, why, what makes a difference when I buy 10 books at once to buying a book, you know, like once a week, cause I'm, I buy books all the time and yeah, I've got a, I've got a book problem. So I get it. Yeah, I, me too. And I'll have to ask you what you're reading later so we can put it in the show notes, but about halfway through your radiant church book, which is very good. And also I want to say you are, you are very good at the craft of writing. So sometimes you might get the theology and the ideas, but sometimes people aren't necessarily gifted in the writing aspect. So I've in, so it's an enjoy to read as well as the stuff that's in there. Um, you know, so, so the craft is, is really well written. And uh, you open with this idea of Hebrews 1.3. I think that's at the end of the very first, like the intro, the sun is the radiance of God's glory an exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word which is one of my favorite verses it's such a beautiful passage just gives us this image of just the radiance of god and jesus yeah yeah and i see how all of the paragraph all the paragraphs all the chapters have some aspect of radiance in them and i'll probably put in the show notes or the intro some of the some of the titles because I think you did a great job weaving and following that whole theme throughout the whole book. We used to talk about like, what exactly was the catalyst for this book? Yeah. Yeah. I am a, I'm a pastor, I'm a local church pastor and I love the church and I never set out to be uh, an author. I consider myself to be a pastor first who, um, you know, my first two books that I wrote were born out of a burden for the church. You know, first golden, born out of a burden to see women sidelined um, and radiant. And, and after I wrote emboldened, I thought I would never write a book again. That I was done. I thought like that I said everything I needed to say. That's what I care about. And onward, you know, onward, local church pastoring and a new kind of burden developed again. And I, I really wrestled with whether or not I should write this book because I, I had a lot of why me, you know, do I have anything to say that's different than what others are saying? But at the same time, I was tired of seeing books that were good, uh, written by great people about the church, but they were all men. And not yeah. a lot of women pastors were speaking into the state of the church within the United States. And so in 2017, uh, I was pastoring in Pasadena, and it just seemed like you know, there was just a tearing down that was happening and exposing that was happening. And as I was observing this as a pastor, I was watching a number of different things happen. On one end, you have a group of people that were defending um, everything that was being exposed, um, anything from sex scandals or moral failures to a history of racism, to Christian nationalism, to, you know, we could just go down the list and as as this tearing down was happening, as the curtains were being open on one end, we have a group of people that were defending it or denying it or seeking to sweep it under the rug. On the other end, we have a group of people that are clearly distraught, um, almost as just this image of a, this bloodbath where everybody's just standing there and they're leaving the church. Um, they're leaving the church. They are going down a path of deconstruction, which don't get me wrong, there needs to be a deconstructing that has to happen. There has to be a dismantling of old ways. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was observing a generation, am observing a generation that is deconstructing, 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 deconstructing without end. 
And there's right. no reconstructing, there's no reclaiming of a biblical vision of what the church ought to be. It's just, let's just dismantle it and walk away. And so I wrote Radiant Church with a burden for both. Um, I wanted to speak to both groups of people. Um, and I began by, by speaking to the group of us who um, historically, you know, gather in spaces that are typically what we call white evangelicalism. And I know the word evangelicalism has become highly politicized, but I use that word specifically because that's the group of people I wanted to speak to and say, hey, like it's time we stop pointing the finger outward, but instead we look inward and we say, what can we do? How can we change? Mm. Um, what, what does the Lord have to say to us? What can we dismantle? What do we need to confess? What do we need to lament? What do we need um, to repent of? And the other group, I wanted to say, hey, like, I get it. Like, this is hard. Um, It's awful. We're all in a lot of pain. And number one, we're sorry. Um, Number two, I, I want to call this generation to believe in the church because Jesus believes in the church. Jesus believes in us. And a lot of these young people are like, well, I, I still, I still believe in God. Like I still, you know, but I just can't hold, do this whole um, Christianity thing. Um, and I heard I was on a Fuller group yesterday and someone called it Americanity. And I thought, oh, that's, that's good. Like, that's interesting. I think that kind of paints a picture of what we're dealing with here. But at the same time, when you look at scripture and the way Jesus talks about the church, you think, wow, he really believed that. And so I think we ought to really believe that, believe in that vision of the church. Yeah. I love how you talk about this idea that we, there's this trend. I don't want to, I don't want to say a trend because I mean, that sounds uh, shallow, but this idea of we continue to deconstruct and that we never seem to snap out a way to, yeah, find a way to put things back together. Like, I mean, even you go to counseling at some point, right? Yeah. You start, we start talking about, okay, where's the, where's the cognitive behavioral therapy? Like where, where do we start making we're changes? Start integrating these. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Integrating all these pieces. Now in your, in the book at the end of each chapter, you have discussion questions, which I think is great. If there are people who are reading this and they find themselves where they just keep going around this mountain again, you know, uh, that they can get some people together and I would love to see that, see some people come together, whether it's on Zoom or in their living rooms and, you know, read, this chap- read the chapter and have these conversations and how do we integrate and how do we put those pieces back together again? And I, I love that aspect of it. One of the things I think is a challenge, especially for those of us who are pastors, right? Like when, is, when there's something that's on our heart and is when do we know, um, well, first of all, if we should even speak to it, right? But then is it, is this a blog post, right? Or is this a Instagram post? Is this a sermon series we should be doing? Or is this a book that we should write? Like, how did you discern that in order to make it move from this passion that's in your heart to, no, this needs to actually be a full length book? Yeah, a lot of what we see in social media posts today when it comes to speaking into the church is we we see a lot of tearing down. We have co-op culture, we have cancel culture. And so when we, when we, whenever we see these days, pastors like speaking into the state of the church, they end there, they end at the calling out. Mm -hmm. Um, They're very prophetic voices and there are things that need to be prophesied. There are things that need to be spoken to, 
um, social media doesn't allow for that space to kind of deconstruct things while also reconstructing things. And for sure, for me, you know, these are things that I have been writing about on social media. These are things I've been doing a lot of preaching on. Um, in fact, you know, I have sermons that I reworked into this book as well. Uh, not the entire book, but there's there was a few places that were sermons that I reworked into the book and expanded upon. But a book gives um, gave me the space to to deconstruct and also reconstruct and give a, a broader, bigger, more robust vision of what it is that Jesus is calling us to be, which is radiant. Right. Uh, I like what you talk about the writing the book gives you a place to deconstruct. Something happened in writing in us that doesn't happen anyplace else. Like, I mean, I'm an avid journaler. That's my, that's my thing. Every, you know, everyday journal as in, but and as you're doing that, whether it's a blog post or whatever article and or even writing your sermon, I do think that there is a certain level that you you start processing things differently than you do without writing it, you know, writing it in that way. I don't know if it's I don't know if it slows it's because it slows you down and yep. makes you think through it a little bit more. Right. Right. Absolutely. I heard someone say um, yesterday, I write to know what I believe, um, yeah. you know, because sometimes like we, there's just something about that processing and that writing. And it's the reason why therapists recommend for you to journal and reflect because it's, it's a way for us to work out some of these feelings that we have that maybe we haven't articulated quite yet. And for sure, like writing this book was a processing for me as well the first the first draft of it was therapy um and we had to rework for that reason you know because i when i first started writing the book i was bleeding out i was writing um i was so broken and hurt over what what i was observing in the, the church and so the way the state of the book is now is nothing like it was in that first first draft but uh, so much of that is is because it was a working out for me yeah well, that's re that's relief for you to hear you say that <laughs> it is like a, a bleeding out um, yeah. as I'm I'm working on my uh, my own stuff. So I'm working on my own writing yeah. and my own stuff. So yeah. you know, it starts. Um, it's got to start with just getting those thoughts on the paper, you know, mm -hmm. and work it out, and not worry about how it sounds. I mean, I'm working on another project right now, and it's 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 my story, and. I realized it's like I'm worrying way too much about format when I just need to write and get this out, whether it's published or not. Um, yeah. There are just things that we need to get out um, without it, you know. And, it, and even with Radiant Church, I said that so many times in the beginning. I said, I don't, if this doesn't get published, that's fine. I just, I just need to write this for me. Yeah. I think that is so much, that is key, right? Of if we have to, we have to be our own first, uh, first reader, like we have to be our own first reader when we're writing something um just for it to be cathartic and, and get that out what has been your experience in response to your book since it's come out yeah you know i was really terrified launching this book into the world because there are some landmine um issues yeah. there's some landmines in there there's some lightning rod topics in there and particularly for the group that has been in the camp that's been a little bit more of the defending i was nervous um for this to get out there because because cancel culture 
I didn't want to, I don't want to be canceled. Um, that's, that's the human side of me, you know, and in some ways like this book is too progressive for some and it's just not enough for others. I, I don't take it far enough for some. And so I was really, really terrified. Um, but the response has been really positive and really affirming. And I've been shocked, you know, even the church that I'm serving in right now to see the people that have read it that I never would have dreamed would have picked it up. And then if they read it, like I would have thought they would have been really upset, but they've been really affirming. And so I've been really encouraged by the response to the book. Yeah. Okay. I know I happen to know you're an Enneagram six, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and me too. And that idea of being canceled is terrifying for, terrifying. I mean, it's terrifying for most people, but definitely Enneagram sixes. Oh, yeah. And so you're, you, when you, like when you published that book, when I saw that come out and then as I started reading it, I'm like, that's really, it's brave. It's seriously brave. And I think my guess is probably for, for Enneagram sixes, that you have to get to the end. It's, it's gotta become so important. And so there's so much value that it becomes like yeah. the pain of not publishing it or not releasing it is you know, the, the results of that, you know, the consequences of that are greater than actually publishing it and releasing it and saying Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Writing and publishing this book was a way of me leaning into my fears of me pressing into them instead of avoiding them. And for sure, you know, and it's, it's terrifying because Enneagram six is we don't want to do anything that's freaks of failure, right. um, you know, and so it's really scary to do big things. Uh, as a six, but, but for sure, like, you know, talk about loyalty. It felt like the faithful thing to do as a pastor who loves a church, like the loyal thing to do, the right thing to do was to say these things and speak and write a letter to the church. I think that, and I think that's key because, you know, the enemy, right. Wants to tell us we're not being loyal when we don't speak. Yeah. Um, and then at some point we have to come back to center, you know, with Jesus and say, no, the, the loyal thing, the faithful thing to do is to speak into that and lean into right. that. That's yeah, right. exactly. All right. Now you did just release another book. Is this book three? This is, this is book three. Yes. Um, I have a couple chapters out there in academic books and a Bible study. Oh, gotcha. Three. Okay. So book three, that's, you know, just your name on it. Yes. Um, and this one's 40 days of being an Enneagram six and okay. So a couple of things I want, it just released like last week. So a couple of questions I have, first of all, how did you get connected with Suzanne Stabile? Cause that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of crazy with this, this book. Um, this was the only book I didn't go out fishing to do. Uh, this one came to me, um, and not through Suzanne Stabile, but through IVP. So both of my books are published with InterVarsity Press. And uh, a lot of the contributors that were, are working on the series, like there's several of them I know. And in particular, Sean Palmer is a dear friend of mine. And I was in Texas speaking at an event that he was also at. And uh, I was finishing up Radiant Church at the time. And we were talking about writing. He's like, I'm also, you know, super stressed. I'm working on another project on the Enneagram. And I'm like, oh, tell me about that. And, and he told me about it. And I said, oh, well, if you guys need a six, like, you know, like joking. Um, I mean, not not joking, but like not thinking anything would come of it. Right. Um, 
And I forgot about it. And two months later, the uh, editors at IVP did email me and they said, hey, we, we hear that you're six. You, you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, like, let's do it. And this was such a different type of writing for me, different style. It's really vulnerable. It's about my life. Every day is a journal entry. Talk about a working out. Um, I wrote this book while I was moving from Southern California back to Chicago, all grieving a lot. And so yeah. it really comes out in the pages of the book, big time. Yeah. Oh. It, and that's, it's so, it's so important, especially for six to process that um, yeah. as they're, as we're going through it right. uh, and not, and not in the future. Right. Um, cause I, I think, cause I think Suzanne Stabile says we're, we're the, we're the present time people for we're in that category or group or whatever, right. where we're in the present. Um, and so not staying in the present, uh, can really wear on us as spirit spiritually. Yes. Okay. Talk about, I did, I did what I did see your Instagram live. So oh, okay. that was, that was me who asked your question about the, the inner critic. Committee. Oh yes. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. going to so ask it again for audio to hear it. Uh, so Enneagram for those, for those who are listening, who don't, and most of the people who are listening know about any, the Enneagram. So I've talked about it in some other episodes. Enneagram one has an inner critic and yeah. Enneagram sixes have an inner critic committee because, you know, we like, yep. we like, we, we like community. Talk a little bit for people who don't know, talk a little bit about what is, what is that, what does Suzanne Stabile mean or the Enneagram people mean when they talk about having this inner critic committee? And then how do you process through that with your committee? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of that is, you know, Enneagram six is we have like a dependent stance. Yeah. And so we, and it's, this is so true for me. I care so much when I'm making decisions, I care so deeply about what everyone else thinks. And so that all these ideas and opinions um, in the process of say making a decision or leading or leading change, I internalize and absorb all of them deeply Mm -hmm. to the point that I have all of these ideas and opinions um, just screaming at once that I have no idea uh what i actually think um it is so hard for me to drown out the voices of the inner committee um inner critic committee um and say actually like what is my gut instinct like what do i think what do i think is right and this is so true for those who are in this head triad like sixes we're we struggle to connect to our emotions our heart or our gut instincts um, because we just have all these like voices um, and opinions in our head that comes from the outside world for sure. And we're, we don't want to make the wrong decision because we don't want to fail. And, yeah. and like with that, like with that, like committee, you know, it's, well, what about this? Did you think about this? Like this could happen. Like if you do this, like the world could come to an end. And oh my goodness, if the world comes to an end, then you're not going to be prepared. And you got to, you know, it just, I mean, it's, it's intense. There's all these what ifs and what abouts. And did you think about this? Yeah. If we go this way, it could turn out like this or yeah. it could turn out like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very much. And I think too, you, you know, we do care about what other people think, but I, I also, at least for me, but I'm going to guess it's probably the same for you. I see how one decision will affect all these different groups. Yeah. And so as I'm looking at, okay, well, it's going to affect this group this way and this group that way 
And, and so then it makes the decision process so much more complex because you're like, okay, well, what decision will have the most, you know, positive impact or be, you know, most influential in a positive way. But yeah, it is true. My, my brother-in-law, who's an Enneagram four, who have all the feelings, uh, will say, often say to me, well, how do you feel about that? And then my response is, well, I don't know. I have to think about it. Yes. <laughs> like yes. I even like you have to stop and think about, well, what am I feeling right now? Well, I don't know. Yes. No idea. No idea. I heard someone the other day say, um, who was in the head triad, he realized that he was always saying, well, I think I feel yeah. Um, and he realized that he was saying that because he doesn't know. <laughs> and, right. you know, of course, like we think, you know, so we think we feel, but we're not sure. And I, and after he said that, I thought, oh my goodness, I do that too. Always like say, I think, I think, I think, I think. Well, of course I do. I'm a six. Right. So in my yeah. head. <laughs> we're so stuck in our head. Oh, uh, yeah. We, our biggest, biggest self care, my biggest self care is find a way to get out of your head today, Joanne. <laughs> you yeah. know, exactly. exactly. Right. And as I don't know about you, but as someone who preaches, like, that's not an easy task. Mm-mm. Like we've all had a day where we're preaching or speaking to a podcast and we are so in our head that it's just, it's rough. Yeah. I, when I was read a couple of years ago, I read Brene Brown's Dare to Lead and she has in there and she has, makes a statement in there about how most of us don't like, we don't, we don't know men, we don't know all the different feelings that are out there. Like we know the basics, we can do it you know, when she says sad, mad, glad, she's like, we know those three, but do we understand all the other nuances? I think she has a list in there. Yeah. Um, and then there's, you can get the chart, you can get the chart somewhere on Google where they have all the different faces, like the facial expressions. So for a while I had that on my fridge. So I'm like, okay, what am I feeling today? I'm like trying to find the, the, you know, the word in the list. So I'm like, oh, that, I think that might be it, you know, and just learning to identify, this is a feeling which actually has helped me with my preaching for that, because yes. I think, well, how do I feel when I read this passage, you yes. know, because that's important, especially for those who are listening to us who are feelers and, you know, being able to relate to how they're feeling when they hear these words of Jesus or, you know, these words from the story in the old Testament and, yeah. and let's address those feelings you right. know, that we feel. Yeah, absolutely. That helps me a lot too. And even just the practice of empathy with the people we're preaching to in our congregation and imagining what they're going through uh, really helps me connect, you know, just this from being a heady sermon to the emotion and to the heart. Oh, yeah. Uh, You've probably told your story a hundred million times about how you got to call the ministry. I always like to share that, um, people to share that. But I thought, because I want to talk to you about something else. So first, Talk about how you ended up at PASNAS instead. Instead of talking about this call to ministry, talk about how you ended up there. And what was that process? Like, how did you discern, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do? Because yeah. yeah. it's, I mean, you got, it's a big, it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So when I began that discernment process at PASNAS, I was not looking actually, like, you know, for anyone listening, who's in our denomination, you know, oftentimes, you know, you'll put your name out there and say, Hey, I'm looking for a church. Like I had not done that. I didn't even have a resume together. And I was on staff at a church in Chicagoland. And, um, there was just a, a, apparently a number of people that had given my name to the church. And so when they called, I just thought they have to have the wrong person. Like they, 
can't possibly be looking for me because at the time, like I really was nobody in our denomination. I just didn't know how they found me. It just didn't make sense. And when we realized, no, like they really did want to talk to me, you know, we began the conversation and a lot, I mean, several month long discernment process then began of, you know, my husband and I praying and fasting and we surrounded ourselves with a discernment committee um, of close friends where I kept them um, updated on, you know, regular emails uh, through through emails um, and conversations. And we had people speaking into our lives. And whenever we make a big decision, that's really important. Like we always reach out to mentors and people who are wiser and often elder than us. And so, you know, we did this and we went through that process and everyone around us was just so affirming. Um, and it just over time became abundantly clear, you know, that that God was was indeed calling us. And a lot of people think, OK, well, if God's calling you like it must have been smooth sailing. And actually, it was quite the opposite. You know, we we felt so affirmed in our call, but the way we were received was hard. It was very controversial to have a female there. There are a lot of people that left and there was a lot of pain, um, but God doesn't always call us to do the easy thing. Uh, fruit doesn't always look like we think it would in a worldly sense, in a very successful numbers kind of way, but faithfulness is often very upside down and it's carrying your cross. And so God called us um, to a very hard assignment and there's not a day that goes by that I, I don't regret it. Yeah, that's a good point that you made. And, and you talk about that in your book too, Radiant Church, this idea that a lot of times we get confused with what faithfulness and what fruit should look like in our ministries. Yes. And the, the assumption is you're going to take this church. Nobody's going to be upset. Yeah. You know, you're going to what add another 3000 to your numbers. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's all of these assumptions and, and sometimes, you know, faithfulness, uh, it looks like pruning, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes growth looks like pruning before it looks like, yeah, more grapes on the vine. And, Absolutely. and then there's a lot of ways that we grow that are not quantifiable. I mean, we know this, you think about all the, the different ways that they have to quantify things. Yeah. when people do research papers, right? Like right. some of them, like, especially for like, you know, counselors um, and social workers, when they're doing their research, their quantifying is so complex. You can't count the same way like you do if you're an accountant. Right. And I think it's disserviced us that we've used a more Wall Street approach. I agree. We have um, hijacked, um, or maybe, maybe not hijacked is the right word, but we've adopted um, systems of measurement and we've hailed it as just the crown to to a faithful church when when sometimes faithfulness doesn't look anything like success mm -hmm. yeah i often think about jeremiah <laughs> yeah absolutely no converts and he cried a lot <laughs> right right people yeah. walked away from jesus oh yeah john chapter six one of my favorite passages that, that God used to kind of sanctify me, this idea of, you know, Jesus tells, feeds the 5,000. And then he says, you know, I am the bread. Um, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And people say this, we can't, we can't do this. 
we're, we're not we're not gonna have any part of that and they just right. walk away right you know and he says will you leave me too and i think wow what a sanctifying moment for many of us when we find ourselves in places where we are suffering and deconstructing and jesus really is saying to us will you will you leave me too or are you just gonna leave behind the stuff that is not working right absolutely yeah yeah so you had a really big discernment process coming in and then i'm assuming you had a huge discernment process leaving because you were there what four or five years yeah right between there um and with your dad being ill so i guess two questions one is how did you pastor the people in those last few months while you were grieving your dad because you knew he was terminal Mm -hmm. um but then also how did you discern that so there's like a lot of things happening you're pastoring there's a pandemic you're grieving your dad you're trying to discern whether to stay or go how did you do that yeah you know it was it was a triple whammy for me um and this is not something i've ever you know necessarily written about on social media but so february 2020 my dad was diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer um march of 2020 COVID hits march of 2020 my mom was diagnosed with alzheimer's um july of 2020 uh, my parents lost their home and in august of 2020 my dad went into a surgery where they were going to remove his stomach and they believed that this would be the answer for him to live many more years and i was sitting there and by the way from february to august through the pandemic while leading a church through racial tensions political tensions um COVID, all of that, I was flying back and forth twice a month to care for my folks. Um, Because of my mom and her Alzheimer's, she was unable to care for my dad in the ways that my dad needed and get him to all his appointments. And it was a lot. And so in August of 2020, when we found out my dad couldn't have his stomach removed um, because his tumors were too big, I was sitting in the hospital, you know, and he and the doctors were saying, well, we're still going to fight this. We're still going to fight this. And at the same time, I'm sitting there just like completely distraught. I'm getting emails from congregants that are upset about COVID or upset about, you know, racial conversations or what it was. And I just, everything came to a head and I was sitting there in the hospital and I just said, Lord, I can't do this. Like something's got to give. It felt like a bungee cord was just wrapped tightly around my stomach and it was pulling in both directions on one side of the church and the other side of my, my family. And it was as though the Lord just said, you can go and cut that bungee cord on the side that was connected to Paznaz. And I thought, oh, God just released me. Um, it was mind blowing because the narrative that I had been embracing all the way up until that point was, you can do this, you can do this, you can turn this church around, you can do this. And it was, until I finally said to the Lord, actually, I have limitations, was when I was released. And it was such a peace and such a freedom. Again, we surrounded ourselves by people and family and a discernment group. And everyone around us was, you know, clear, like, yes, you should go. You should go. And it was the most emotionally intense several months of my life, um, besides the passing of my father this last July, leaving a dream situation, grieving a trajectory that so many of us believed was going to be that wasn't, 
grieving a church that I really fell in love with, grieving that it didn't go the way we'd hoped, um, grieving uprooting my whole family from Southern California back to shoveling snow. Like there was just, and then coming home to not an easy situation. It wasn't like I was coming home to just this, Ooh, like we're going, like it was, right. oh man, I'm entering into like a tough season where I'm going to carry my dad to the bathtub and make sure he gets his depends changed and like all this really hard, like end of life stuff that we went through for a year and still going through it. I mean, even with my dad gone, I'm, you know, focuses on my mom with Alzheimer's and I'm now on staff at a church in Chicagoland called Christ Church and we're in Oak Brook and I serve as the pastor of missional life. And thankfully this, and a teaching pastor, I do a lot of preaching this, thankfully the church has given me tons of space to grieve um, and yeah. heal, tons of space. And so it's been a blessing to have a slower season of, of ministry to heal and to rest and to be restored. Yeah, and that's huge. And um, sometimes you don't always get that. I mean, what a blessing to that uh, and to have a, a faith community that you're still connected with. Um, and there now there are different denomination from from you, right? Uh, yeah. Non-denominational. Yeah. yeah, and think, and I'm not leaving the Church of the Nazarene. Um, thankfully, the district is being wonderful and helping me keep my credentials, and um, really grateful for that. That's wonderful. Well, I mean, it would be terrible to lose you as a leader in our denomination. So, or to lead lose you as a leader in the church at all. So, I'm grateful that you did your deconstructing and your reconstructing uh, through your book, and mm -hmm. and are going to help so many of us in the processes as we deconstruct and yeah you're just kind of starting the grieving process really yeah there's a lot of grief and grief is surprising and shocking and um, when you're doing that in pastoring you know it's sometimes you have to detach um in situations you know because it, otherwise you just fall apart too much you become undone and it's discerning where's the spaces i can become undone and um it's hard yeah well well, you may not have planned to be an author, but whatever, God decided that's the direction you're going next. So yeah, yeah here uh, we are. Yep. It's okay. Uh, books aren't going anywhere. Right. That's true. I'm a book person. I love reading. I love books. So yeah, I'm reminded of Martin Luther who says, if you want to change the world, pick up a pen and write. That's right. Still so, true today. Any words of advice? Or encouragement just to women clergy right now in this crazy season yeah take the next faithful step whatever that is whatever that thing is that's been tugging at your heart whether it's an idea or whether it's something simple whether it's something challenging um take that next faithful step and it's so often we as women and men too, we do, and we all do this. We get so far down the road and we think, well, what about the, you know, the big term, long-term goal? Like we're going to be in 10 years. Well, just take that next faithful step, whatever that is. If it's signing up for a class, if it's going to seminary, if it's getting a license, you know, credentialing, if it's taking another class, if it's calling another pastor, if it's seeking out a mentor, whatever it is, take that next faithful step. Yep. Good faithfulness talk from Enneagram Six there. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Oh, you've been so gracious to come on here and to do this with me. And we've never even like met in real life. So Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Well, we are uh praying for you and your family and all of this 
season that you're in and the grief and you know you're just beginning but i'm lifting you up in my prayers thank you thank you so much